Hello, welcome to the Extra Credits Podcast, where we search for meaning in your favorite movies and shows. I'm Trey. Today, we're talking about every restaurant employee's retail worker, anybody who's ever been exploited by the customer. This is your movie. We're talking about Mark Mylod's newest film, The Menu. It's a great time at the movie theater. I recommend people go see it this weekend. See it ASAP. I want it, I want people to experience this in a full theater like we did. We saw it at an early screening, and we both really enjoyed it. And I'm really surprised actually by the reaction because there's so many good movies in the theaters right now, like Black Panther, obviously, which we just covered, After Sun, Tar, Banshees of Inishirin, Armageddon Time, Decision to Leave. There's so much to watch in theaters right now that I'm excited that people are loving everything. <laughs> Usually there's a movie that people are hating on, but there are packed theaters right now just full of excellent movies and the menu is one of them. On Rotten Tomatoes, if you care, 91% from critics, 89% from audience members. That's a great sign for the next few weeks and how many people are going to go see this. Letterboxd has this about 3738 out of 5, which is good. Speaking of Letterboxd, if you haven't heard, we're starting a new segment here called Letterboxd Corner, which means we're going to read all of our followers' Letterboxd reviews that they tag us in live on the show. You can find our profile to our socials in the description, and you can follow us anywhere because we're basically everywhere on social. And then you can just DM us with your review of what you've been watching. It's kind of our goal to spread awareness of movies that have meaning. So we're going to try to spread awareness of our listeners' movies that they find have meaning and what they've been watching and talking about lately. And I think it'll be a lot of fun just to connect with everybody. So let's jump into the menu. This is a movie I'm really excited to return to with friends and drinks. I think it would be a really good time to experience with a packed theater. We saw a early screening of this a few weeks ago, and it was definitely packed, but you could feel the movie critic people there because people were taking notes like crazily, uh, like I was, and just kind of getting prepared for, I guess, podcast or writing because there's so much good dialogue in this movie. But Kelsey fully immersed herself and liked it a bit more than I did. And I'm excited, like I said, to rewatch it because I want to be immersed in the rewatch. There were so many good lines. Like I said, I had to write all of them down. And, you know, I don't want to spoil it. Ah, whatever. We'll just say it. So, we're planning on having the film's writers, Will Tracy and Seth Reese, on very soon. That conversation should be up next week if nothing falls through. And if you don't follow us already, I'd go ahead and follow us so you get an update for that. I'm very excited for that conversation. Both Tracy and Reese kind of make this movie possible, I think, because a lot of the film is held up by its darkly hilarious and smart dialogue and character development, too. There's a lack of character development in certain places purposely, which I think makes the movie, in part, a low-key mystery. And I think that works really well. And if you haven't seen this movie or you have and just need a refresher, let's do a quick recap. The menu follows a group of wealthy people who travel to this remote island for a fine dining experience known as Hawthorne, which is basically a military barracks of sorts. Customers are paying like well over a thousand dollars per person to dine on this tasting menu prepared by this legendary mysterious chef Slovik, who is played by Rafe Fines like incredibly well. Chef Slovik is running an army of cooks, and they are kind of his soldiers, in a sense, in this military analogy I'm using. Everything he says and does is precise and planned. His unit of cooks all sleep under the same roof outside of his home next to Hawthorne, and it's really like a, a military setting or military housing, which, again, makes you feel very uncomfortable from the start. And everybody on this island is indulging in this like four and a half hour, five hour meal that is more of a 
conceptual art experiment than it is an actual dinner, which is interesting. And luckily, this movie doesn't feel anything like a five-hour experiment. <laughs> it definitely holds your attention really well throughout. And it's only like, I think, 100 minutes long, so it's not bad at all. Um, let's dive further into this movie by talking about what kind of movie people are walking into here and what kind of film we all you know, just experience. Because this movie sort of fearlessly satirizes the cultural elite class, which is becoming like a real through line of 2022 films with movies like Triangle of Sadness and recently Tar, as well as others. But specifically, this movie is exploring, I think, shallow consumer culture through obvious critiques on fine dining and cuisine, but then more subtextually, the way the movie is also exploring how wealthy people commodify creativity or art, which I should say, quick tangent, because I don't know if everybody's going to pick up on the second part. So let's talk about the restaurant, fine dining, consumer culture of it all. I'm a former server, and I've been with tons of different restaurants, bars, whatever. So I can say with certainty that, like I said at the top, this movie will be a lot of fun for tons of front and back of house workers. And I think working in restaurants made me never want to eat out and make food at home after I was done working in restaurants. So I think going back to this space, even if it's in like in this elevated cuisine place, like I think that people will enjoy their experience and seeing what happens on screen uh, to a certain extent, just because of like terrible experiences with customers and the way that, um, you know, workers are treated. So I like that this movie in its explicit commentary is making a story for exploited working class people. I think that's a really smart idea. And it's something that we've seen a lot in television and movies recently. And my lot and the writers, Tracy and Reese are really smart in how they write about the industry, like with the way they explore how and why the wealthy enjoy dining and retail at large. I think we kind of better understand through them why the average customer goes to dine at a restaurant, which is not something I I try to explore <laughs> in my own psyche of my past working in the restaurants. And obviously people have good experiences working as servers or cooks, but I personally just did not have a good experience at any place I ever worked at the end of the day. Um, and you know, in my experience, people go out to eat for a number of reasons, but to me it was always number one, obviously the food. And then number two, the entertainment value. And I think you could argue the entertainment value might be number one for a lot of people. And I think, uh, you know, for most well-intended people, obviously going out to eat can be nice because you can have a social life outside of your home lives. But in my experience, it's usually just like people who want to escape a little bit and they want to be entertained at restaurants. So people believe that they're renting experiences or they're renting people, not just through their food and how they serve it, but also like all of the workers in a restaurant, not, not just the front of house, but the back of the house. And, you know, in that way, sometimes, you know, if you don't know, if you're not a, if you're a new listener, me and Kelsey who run this podcast are teachers and we can sometimes feel like we're participating in like theater every day in front of a classroom. And that is kind of like what serving in a restaurant feels like. And it feels like you're constantly sort of, I guess, working the audience, making sure that they're satisfied while giving yourself away a little bit to them each day. So they're both pretty draining jobs socially and emotionally. Oddly enough, I think both working in retail and public service jobs have similar molds. You're constantly at the kind of whim and needs of, of people in front of you. And in saying all that, this movie is definitely interested in those ideas, but it's, I think, more interested in its exaggerated satirical elements than anything too weighty or too serious about consumer culture and exploitation. So if you want 
some grounded stories. I have some recommendations about how the retail industry is exploited, specifically in dining. Check out The Bear. It's a TV show on Hulu. If you haven't seen it, it's very popular this past year. It's one of the best shows of 2022. Has some of the greatest performances. One of the most well-directed shows on television right now. And another wreck would be Boiling Point, which is a film that came out last year out of Britain. You can stream that right now. We did a pod on both The Bear and Boiling Point uh, a few months ago. And we spoke to the director and writer of Boiling Point on that podcast, which is, again, one of the best movies of 2021. I, I don't think I've ever seen the real stresses of the retail industry or food industry depicted better than what the Boiling Point uh, film does. So if you liked, you know, the Bear episode, I think their second to last episode, then you're going to love Boiling Point. So I would definitely check out that movie or that show for a more grounded experience if you kind of like the taste of what you got in the menu. But what the menu has on its mind, I think is just as interesting. It's exploring things more conceptually and more of an abstract way about consumer and elite culture. And it probably has loftier ideas on its mind that might not get across all the time to everybody. But regardless, I think what deserves extra credit about this movie is its script. The menu's writing is incredibly creative, not just in the dialogue, but also how it's conceptually interrogating elitism and how our culture commodifies creativity and art. The writing makes the message of this movie, I think, pretty accessible, so much so that the movie has evaded the usual criticism of satires about the rich or capitalism. You usually hear critics say that satires about eating the rich are pretentious or saying that the commentary isn't smart or or mysterious enough just because it hates money. But this movie is really self-aware of what it is. It's which I guess which the best satires sort of are and knows how straightforward it's being about its thoughts on the elite wealthy class. And it decides to triple down in its transparency instead of trying to force an audience to search for satirical threads and trying to figure it out like a puzzle, which makes the menu, I think, a pretty hilarious theater experience because the crowd really buys in like a lot especially with the gore elements of this movie. I recommend, again, going to see this on opening weekend so nobody spoils those gore elements or you don't see the the visuals anywhere on Twitter or social just because I think the participation from the crowd makes this movie, there's like a secondary experience happening here. Which reminds me, if you weren't aware, the director, Mark Mylod, is an executive producer and director of Succession, which I often wish was in theaters <laughs> because it's one of the most well-made, I think, pieces of television ever. And Will Tracy, also one of the writers of the menu, is one of the writers for Succession 2. And that's probably me and Kelsey's favorite show maybe ever. And you can feel the Succession thematic beats in the menu. While there's definitely no gore in Succession and there is in the menu, those thematic beats for some reason are so cinematic. And I wish, uh, like I said, I wish we could get Succession theaters. We need a hashtag. So there are definitely moments of dark comedy like succession in the menu but there's also like this seriousness of the hulu tv show the bear while also having that gore punch of something that is i guess reminiscent of like saw or final destination and i know my lot has said that an inspiration for his direction was actually the dark comedy and satirical elements of robert altman's gosford park which is you know you can see that too And then outside of the themes and plot, there is this really big cast in the movie that will remind you of an Agatha Christie setup, even if it's not necessarily a full out mystery, it does have those elements to it. But I wouldn't say the, you know, the whole cast here is an ensemble, they don't really get to do too much. 
as the three main leads. So I want to focus on those three characters. First, we have this ignorant, obsessed, unapproachable Tyler, played by Nicholas Holt. He's a really great actor. If you don't know him, uh, he's most famous right now, I think, from the TV show The Great, which is also on Hulu. Kelsey loves him in that show. I like him a lot, too. I liked him in Mad Max. I think of Warm Bodies, if anybody remembers that film from like seven years ago. That's what I think of when I think of Holt's work and also the fact he almost got a uh, Batman, which is crazy. But he's a really good actor and his character, Tyler, worships Chef Slovik like a god. He desperately wants to be a part of Slovik's kitchen, which sort of resembles this cult-like situation that's going on. It's like watching a boy influenced by the U.S. Army scout in school or something. And then we have Tyler's date, Margot, who is played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who has sort of kind of mastered the detached, unemotional, but then highly emotional volatility, but also yet matter-of-fact character. Like, Taylor-Joy has become a master at whatever that is. And, you know, she's one of the best young actors working today. I think she doesn't do anything new or groundbreaking here, but if you've liked her past work, like we have, you'll definitely enjoy her performance. She's obviously an incredibly cinematic actor, not just for the way that she's back and forth with her emotions, but also just she has great eyes. She has great face work when coming to like express so much emotion through her face without saying much. And, you know, when she's in conversation with Rafe Fiennes, she is electric and he is too. So they have a really good dynamic together. And speaking of Fiennes, his performance and understanding of I think the psychology of Chef Slovik is the real draw to this movie. Outside of the plot and satire, I think he's one of the most important character actors in film when it comes to playing monstrous people. So Slovik is like the head of this film. I think he is in a way the head chef, but also like the the main reason you come to go see the menu because what he does with Hawthorne here and the what he does with the people who come to eat here is incredible. He knows the ingredients of every meal, so he's interesting to watch on screen. It's like an evil Bon Appetit. But also he knows the insecurities and secrets of every person at Hawthorne. He's sort of like this blend of Hannibal Lecter, Heath Ledger's Joker, Alfredo Linguini. <laughs> I've joked to Kelsey that the menu reminds me of an evil... Pixar version of Ratatouille or Despicable Me. So there's so many different characters that are basically just sociopaths that he reminds me of. And the Slovak character, I guess, is the real genius invention of the movie because he represents creators, artists, but more specifically, like famous obsessives who have become cynical to their core. And his passion for creating art with ingredients has now become his burden, really. And it's like corrupted him. And the rich, I guess, have like done this to him by commodifying his creativity. And he's like been molded by this hate for the rich. So because of like all this disdain he has for all these people that he's serving in this restaurant, he's, you know, brought each person there specifically for a reason, or at least that's what we think. And he really wants to show them his most important creation, which is that he is, you know, basically become God. He doesn't just want to deconstruct and manufacture ecosystems on their plates through his cuisines but he also wants to like determine someone's fate the people who've wronged him so he's kind of like a boogeyman or grim reaper <laughs> uh character of like this elite class almost like the final destination death character but like as a chef <laughs> and uh yeah i mean all of his meals are really just like objects of art and they're all sculptures in a sense i guess that's where the conceptual element comes into play 
And, you know, even some of his food is borderline inedible in some cases, which I guess is a reality for people who are foodies and do stuff like this movie. You know, what they show these people going to pay a lot of money for these plates. I've never done anything like this and I don't plan on ever doing anything like this. And I don't know how much we're supposed to think that actual people do stuff like this because it's all really just kind of a satire. But the rich do want things they can't traditionally consume. So that part makes a lot of sense. So in this case, they don't just want Slovak's art. They want the artist. And Slovak feels like he's being killed by them, you know, throughout his life. So he's become completely radicalized, which is a really interesting arc. And, you know, he's been exploited all of his life. And now he wants to eat the rich, literally. And the way his art has been, you know, devoured his whole life is just kind of him seeking vengeance. So it's really phenomenal writing for him. And it's like a great concept. And as another layer to the movie, Slovak finds himself bonded to one of the characters who represents his former self, I guess. And that's Taylor Joy's character, Margot, who is sort of an outlier here on the island. She sees through Slovak's facade, which the movie explores through his past. I wish there was another 10, 15 minutes of this, actually, because I don't think neither of the characters are really fully developed. And I think obviously purposely because this isn't really that kind of movie, but I wish I got more of them because the movie doesn't know how deep I think it wants to get with the connection between Margot and Slovak, Taylor Joy's character and Fine's character, because it doesn't want to have a generic hero or protagonist, which is simultaneously the movie's biggest problem while also being one of its more fresh, real decisions that it makes that is interesting. So I don't, you know, what's fascinating is you don't really necessarily root for Slovak or Margot at any point, or at least I didn't find myself thinking that they were anything more than characters representing concepts. Like I didn't find myself being like, this is the journey of Margot. Uh, you know, but Taylor Joy does a great job of making you like her character, but she's really just playing mind games with fines in the whole movie. They bounce off each other so quickly that you're more fascinated by their dynamic together. And it's almost like they're professional chess players, the way they're moving back and forth with their pieces. Cause it, it does feel very intellectual in that way. I'm assuming I thought of chess because of the Queen's Gambit, <laughs> because that analogy doesn't make complete sense. But regardless, they do have like this intellectual chemistry that's really effective. And at one point toward the end of the movie, I think Margot tells Slovak that the worst thing, well, I'm not going to say, but she tells him the worst thing a chef can hear. And that sends him back to his youth, really, in a very Ratatouille-like sequence to me. And Slovak kind of reminisces about his less cynical self, I think, toward the end of the film. And it's like, Margot and Anya Taylor-Joy's performance, I think both sort of checkmate finds at the end of the movie, which I really enjoy. It's, you know, that's my last chess comment. But it, uh, I don't know, there's this interesting back and forth, this interesting uh, battle, competitive uh, nature between these two actors, these performances and their characters alike. But ultimately, like I said, there isn't really a protagonist. Slovak is not a hero. He's definitely like pathological and his ego makes him believe that he can control other people like making them do what he wants and you know he can't do that to Margot. she really sees past him but again i wish we knew more about her because i think conceptually that would be interesting because besides the surface commentary there of like her being like the younger self that he can relate to i don't think there's i wish there was more there and outside of the magnetic and alluring performances that we get from fines and taylor joy i think the final shout out for characters that i'm gonna have to go to is hong chow's uh, Chef Elsa, who is this like loyal, humorless, but really intimidating maitre d'. 
I wish she got more to do, but I was genuinely scared of her character. <laughs> I think people will like some of her moments. There's some really great laugh out loud line reading going on from her. So I hope she gets a lot of shout outs after people see this movie. And there's also a performance from John Leguizamo that is pretty funny considering the meta, I guess, of his character and who he's playing without spoiling that too much. Good evening. Welcome to Hawthorne. The Menu is a film about a high-end restaurant run by a high-end chef who has his own agenda. I'm Julian Slowick, and tonight it'll be our pleasure to feed you. As each course is produced, it gets a little weirder and darker until things get very dark indeed. Margot has been invited to the best restaurant in the world. There's a level of discomfort she has that keeps continuing to grow. It's official. Tonight will be madness. Expecting the menu of a lifetime only to discover that there's a much bigger plan at play. Please hold still. I got really lucky with the cast. We needed to walk this specific line of taking the humanity very seriously without going the other way and making it camp. Waiting in five. Yes, sir! I love you all. We love you too, sir! Slowick is obviously quite a complex character. You shouldn't be here tonight. For him, food is like a religion. He's quite a disturbing figure. Listen. I said listen. That silence means I'm free. Margot is an enigma, and she's supposed to be. We're asking Anya to do so much with very little dialogue. Anya's ability to switch in and out of the warmth she can have in one moment, but the hatred and, and distrust and shock and that, and I mean, it's just like the raw emotion. Tyler, what the hell is going on? Tyler is also an obsessive, but he's the exact type of obsessive that Sloic hates. Tyler is going to demonstrate his culinary expertise. He's a fervent believer in everything Chef Sloic said. He worships him. We're all going to die tonight. Isn't that right? Elsa is the maitre d' or the restaurant captain. You'll eat less than you desire and more than you deserve. Elsa is Chef Slowick's number one disciple. I take care of the customers so that chef can take care of the menu. Hong brought tremendous depth and a specificity to it. You will not replace me. I think Mark my lord have created a great atmosphere of an ensemble, a company, all enjoying each other's work and appreciating each other. It's completely different type of horror. I hope people say that they've never seen anything like that before, because I certainly haven't. And on that note, food. I'll probably stop there because... You know, this is my recommendation to go see the movie, but this is also like my thoughts, I think, thematically about why the movie has meaning. So hopefully people who've seen the movie enjoyed this, but also people who haven't seen the movie are now incentivized to go with some friends and enjoy your experience there. Um, but let's sum up really quickly why this movie deserves extra credit. I think this movie is more than a satire about eating the rich. It's really about an economic system that commodifies creativity and what that means. What does that do to creators? And there is really interesting commentary there on the surface about obsessive foodies and consumer culture and how that affects the working class. Like there's a lot of that written already in reviews out there. But really the lasting message that has meaning to me is for artists or creators at large. I think a lot of people are going to find themselves relating to the sad reality of something that you love to do is always commodified and 
our economy. And that is unfortunate because <laughs> it's great because you can get paid for what you do. But eventually, you know, someone's going to control the things that you love. And that sucks. <laughs> and so I like this movie as like a metaphor for like filmmakers too, which I think there's a lot there. But I'm going to explore this movie even further with spoilers. We're going to do a deep dive when we get the writers on the podcast very soon. So definitely tune in for that when we get there. I think there's a little something for everyone in this movie. So again, definitely highly recommend going to see the menu in a packed theater and enjoy. All right. This has been Trey with the extra credits of the menu. Remember everyone, as my guy Slovic says, do not eat taste. Mm-hmm.